Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about how e-commerce merchants can, as I'm going to refer to it, stop the bleeding, that there are a variety of different ways that merchants, as e-commerce has really taken off, uh, merchants have to fight to keep shoppers at their store, uh, keep shoppers from... Uh, kind of gaming certain systems or doing things that, that aren't going to be fair play for the business, things that you would never have done in your retail stores if you had brick and mortar locations or, or if you happen to today. And so we're going to be taking a, a little bit of a, a dive into this particular area. And I have someone uh, with us today that has a lot of expertise here, uh, Matt from the clean.io team. And Matt, can you share a little bit of your background and uh, maybe tell us a little bit <laughs> about how you got into this space and what's going Absolutely. on and that e-commerce merchants really need to be watching out for these days? Yeah, Robert, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, so Matt Gillis, I'm the CEO of Clean.io. Uh, we're a digital engagement security platform. Sounds very important, and it is. What we do is we protect uh, user um, uh, experiences and we protect revenue on online websites. So if you think about um, you know, a publisher who uh, has users that would come and consume news or sports or entertainment content or whatnot, and they've got ads on their site, we make sure that those ads and that monetization vehicle does not get hijacked by bad actors that would destroy the user experience or destroy the revenue monetization. In the same light on the e-commerce side, um, we also protect e-commerce stores from a, a similar sort of hijacking that's happening. In e-commerce, it's, it's not the same in that it's malicious, but I would say that there are untrusted uh, you know, Chrome extensions that are executing uh, on the e-commerce side. Think of things like Honey and Wikibuy um, uh, or Capital One Shopping, shopping as they're now known. Uh, and these sort of things are, you know, again, kind of impacting revenue and user experience. And, you know, these websites, whether it's e-commerce or, uh, you know, publisher websites, they don't have the controls that they need to prevent these things from happening. Uh, and so that's where we step in. Um, our company uh, gives uh, these websites the granular controls that they need to protect uh, their consumers and their user experiences from malicious or untrusted JavaScript. Uh, we've been around about three years. Uh, we're based in Baltimore, 45 people working on this problem. Uh, and uh, super excited to be here and talk more about it. So uh, let's dig in, right? Yeah, awesome. Well, I always love to ask, how did you come to the name? I mean, clean.io, obviously, it's, that's a very clean name if I can, uh, I guess, pun intended there, right? But how did you find that? How did that come about? It's interesting. So I'm a mobile guy my whole career, uh, been through the various, you know, worked at carriers and then worked at a bunch of different startups, whether in monetization or as a publisher and that sort of thing. Um, and so I'm I'm in tune with kind of the challenges of, of our, our partners and of the folks that use our products. Um, the original problem that we went out to solve was this thing called malvertising, malicious advertising. Um, and the company's original name that we had started with was called Clean Creative. The intention was like, we clean the creatives that run on your site. Um, but when we really took a step back to think about like, what are the, you know, what's the overall core problem that we're trying to solve? It's 
we're trying to deliver clean environments, regardless of whether it's in advertising or whether it's in e-commerce or, or pick your next vertical. And so as a cybersecurity company who solves problems in verticals, we've kind of felt, hey, like clean creative is a little tied over in this area. We'd like to be something uh, broader than that. And hence, that's how we became clean.io. Uh, that happened uh, in you know, call it January, February of 2019. Uh, we raised uh, a seed round of funding then uh, and uh, kind of have been on a rocket ship ride since, since then. So it's, it's been exciting. Yeah, well, look, problems grow. And I, I think that's, I imagine that's what you're experiencing is that when people find a solution, it's nice to be an earlier player in a market, you know, that's not uh, oversaturated in tech. And I think that this is an area that, that really needs more attention. So start with the, on the malvertising side with me before we dive in a little bit more on, yeah. on the e-com. So that would be something like, you know, a site that's got ads running, a news site, a blog, um, a forum, some some other property uh, that's going to some kind of social networking site, something that that's got ads running and some of the ads might be, I'm just going to say spiked. <laughs> There's a landmine there. There's something that ideally that you would never want on your site. And so as a publisher who's allowing ads on, on your website, uh, you need something to screen those. Is that more or less what's going on? I think effectively you're you're on the right track. So our code runs on about seven or eight million websites each month. Um, and we behaviorally analyze billions of impressions every day, billions of ad impressions. Um, the interesting part about that side of the internet is um, there's this thing called programmatic. And I don't know if you know much about it, but it's basically the, the automated buying and selling of impressions on these websites. And so anybody can effectively you know, put their hands on a keyboard and buy ads, set up a campaign to run on like the properties that you probably go to every single day. And so the openness of the internet, awesome, but the openness of the internet has actually like almost allowed this problem to pro uh, proliferate throughout the internet. And so programmatic media has made it easier for anyone to, uh, to buy ads across the internet. And wherever there's money and humans, there's usually bad actors. And so, uh, so the bad actors have figured out that they can buy ads. Um, and you may be familiar if you're scrolling on a website and all of a sudden it redirects you and says, congratulations, Robert, you want an Amazon gift card or, you know, Hey, Robert, your phone's got 39 viruses. You click here and we'll help you solve that. And then if you try to close it, it doesn't close because the bad actors have figured out how to like trap you in that experience and you can never really get out. And so that's malvertising. Um, and uh, and like as you said, you know we're one of the earlier solutions in this problem space, and it's really allowed us to understand how JavaScript can kind of enter these ecosystems and execute. And um, you know, there's a lot of great things that can happen from that, but there's also a lot of dangers. And where there's money and people, that's where bad actors tend to kind of flock. Interesting. And look, I imagine that even for e-commerce merchants, that it's not a good thing when shoppers become afraid of ads. Uh, when you know the, the ads kind of take over and everybody wants to be running an ad blocker, and as an e-commerce merchant, you need things like this that are going to allow you to surface your brand and attract new business. And so it's good to know that <laughs> that there are folks on the other side of of this sort of a problem uh, fighting up against it. Well, similarly, I know that you know one of the bigger worries as more and more uh, apps get added to websites, uh, you know, especially in this case, e-commerce sites. When they become more app centric, as opposed to, you know, platforms like Magento, where you install extensions more often and things are are really native to the platform. But when you're 
you know, when you don't really control the code and, and it can be changed on the fly, now you have all this different JavaScript, you have all these different things that are populating from third parties, and you've got to worry about when one of those uh, becomes susceptible to some kind of attack and what's going to be flowing through your website in the, you know, in the intermediary time. So, I think you hit it. Yeah, I think you hit it on, on the head, which is the craziest notion in this whole thing is you own your website but you don't control the code that executes on your website. There's a whole bunch of ways that anyone can intercept your end users and deliver them an experience that you didn't approve. And so like I articulated that on, you know, what would happen on, you know, USA Today or pick a, a pick a website that you would go to to get your news or your weather or your sports or that sort of thing. Um, in the e-commerce world, there's a very similar phenomenon that's happening where um, bad actors uh, or good actors uh, are getting that you know that exposure to your your users and being able to change that user experience. The analogy I would use in e-commerce is if you had a bricks and mortar store, ultimately you're the key holder. Ultimately, people can't walk into your store and do something to your you know shopper's experience. You control that. Ultimately, you would not let those people come in that could actually destroy that user experience or destroy your revenue capabilities or your margins. And what's happening in online is a whole bunch of these extensions, what I would call like Honey and Capital One Shopping and these extensions that automate the inclusion of promotion codes at checkout, they've actually taken that control away from the merchants and the merchants no longer control the user experience at checkout. And so you know how hard it is to get someone to your website to buy something. You know how hard it is to get them through that sales funnel. And now that you've gotten that user all the way to the end of that sales funnel, guess what? If the user has Honey on their machine, Honey can pop up and say, hey, guess what? Robert, we've got discounts for you. Would you like us to apply them? And as a user, you probably go, well, okay, let's, let's see how this goes. Like It's like kind of like spinning the wheel. And Honey will execute. And then all of a sudden come up and say, hey, guess what? We saved you 25% by applying the code military25 at checkout. And while as a user, that may seem like a good thing, to merchants, that's not so good, right? To merchants, you've lost control of your discount strategy. To merchants, you've lost control of the execution of your code and your site at checkout. You wouldn't allow someone to walk into your bricks and mortar store. Let's just say you own Dick's Sporting Goods. You wouldn't let someone come in and stand beside the cash register. And every time Robert came up to the cash register with a mitt full of lacrosse gear and shoes, say, hey, Robert, guess what? I got some codes for you. You want to try them and see if you can save 25 points? So why are we tolerating that in the internet? It just doesn't make sense to me. And that's where we step in. Yeah. Now I'll admit you probably lost a few of our listeners right there because I don't think any of them are picturing me playing lacrosse, but. <laughs> maybe. You maybe. Hey, you never know. You got kids. You never know. Yep. Uh, it's been a while. But uh, that that's, you know, for me, a real phenomenon. Sometimes you find that you know, when you get some of these coupons going rogue, you know, it was meant, uh, you know, sometimes when there's an error or something else that, you know, they get exacerbated by this kind of repetitious use from people that otherwise wouldn't have even been looking for a coupon in some cases. But why wouldn't they use an app like this? It really, it can go downhill pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, we, we've, so we've got a product that we just launched. Uh, we were number one on Product Hunt last week uh, with our new release. Awesome. Uh, it's called Clean Cart. Uh, and it gives merchants control of their website at checkout so that these extensions can't come in and take over the user experience. 
we've had, I would say, countless horror stories from merchants about like what could go wrong will go wrong uh, in any different marketing capability of like you using promotional codes and them getting into the wrong hands and subsequently getting scraped by honey. Like that's the, that's really what happens. If you use a promotional code for the right reasons, you're giving it to a consumer to try and drive an incremental sale. You're trying to drive them back to your site so that they can come and complete a transaction. And in doing so, you'll, you're happy giving them 10 or 20 or 15 or whatever the percentage off is. Let's just say, you know, Merchant X gave me that code and it inspired me to come to their site and type in that code at checkout. If I have Honey on my machine and I type in that code, Honey will pop up and attempt to tell me that there are more codes that as a user I might want to try. The first thing that Honey does is it scrapes out the code that I put in and now makes that code available for everyone. So that's where this can go completely sideways. And you think about all the tactics that merchants will use in one-to-many marketing, right? Like I get mailers every day that say, hey, you know, come to Johnny O and here's a code for 20% off because you've spent a thousand bucks here over the last year. We'd like you to come and keep spending more money. Or they're using podcasts or they're using social media influencers. If you've got an influencer who's got 100,000 fans, yeah, like how do you activate them to come and buy things? And guess what? Those codes get snapped up by Honey or Capital One Shopping. And guess what? It messes with all your attribution. So not only are you driving your average order value down, you're also getting like really bad data to tell you what are your most effective marketing channels. And that's what merchants keep telling us is that like they, like they want to use promotional codes. And we're pro-consumer in that sense. We think that everybody should be able to use promotional codes to drive incremental sales. We just don't believe that the automation of those codes and injections is actually their intended use. And we think that merchants deserve to be able to control the site that they own. So that's, that's sure. the problem that we're out to solve. Other than making every coupon a one-time use, which let's say, you know, you get a frustrated customer or something really went wrong, you want to do right by them, you give them a 50% off code as a one-time use for their, you know, next purchase up to $500 or whatever it is, you know, whatever the terms are, right? Uh, which shouldn't be usable by anyone else any other time, mm -hmm. uh, one would hope, uh, if it's set up properly. But what is it uh, other than setting up coupons to be one-time use with individual codes, which is not what's going to work for an influencer or a podcast, or I don't think anybody really listens to podcasts, but that's just no, between you and overrated. me. They're overrated. Um, yeah, really. Nobody's uh, listening to this, by the way, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my wife, my mother, I don't know, somebody, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they humor me, I think, but <laughs> no, I, I think that, um, you know, that's sort of the problem is that coupons are ubiquitous for certain types of campaigns. So what is it that your team wound up creating that solves the problem? How is it that you stop something like Honey from stealing those coupons, <laughs> you know, from uh, the user, in essence, from scraping them as they're being used and then making them available to the masses? Yeah, so we, we, we started, obviously, in a very focused fashion focusing on Shopify and the ecosystem in Shopify. We think that it's a huge ecosystem. We think there's tons of uh, scalability there. Um, and so we've built a product. It's a custom app. Uh, and effectively, what it does is it blocks the injection of these codes at checkout. Um, so it gives that control back to the, to the storefront. You know, if you think about some of the challenges that merchants face, like obviously, we know that margins are tight. And we think that 
you know, any time that a user uh, you know, can drive that average price down and make it easier to drive the average price down. It just shrinks your margins. They've got returns, they've got warehousing, they've got cost of goods. So like there are tons of costs that go into this. And so for us, it's really about giving that control back to merchants. When you also look and you go to a website, because I always say to people like you and I are consumers, right? We shop. So like, what's your behavior like when you go to a website? Oftentimes, like some merchants will say like, Hey, there's a sale on uh, add spring 15 at checkout and you can save 15%. There's a reason that the merchants don't automatically put that code on your order. It's because I think folks maybe forget to put that on and they still complete the purchase. Guess what? The beauty of Honey and Capital One Shopping and all these discount extensions is that they make sure that you as a user never forget the layup codes, right? And so I think there's this uh, there's this challenge that it's it's a total backstop and it just destroys average order value and it's about time that merchants had a an automated solution to be able to use promotional codes effectively mm-hmm. and be able to do one to many marketing um, in many marketing vehicles you know you indicated um, you know can you just do you know, one time use and sure you can I think in some vehicles maybe in email or other things where it's one to one. But when you're marketing in a one-to-many fashion, here's one example. One of the merchants uh, that we were uh, working with um, sponsored an NBA team. And one of, the, one of the things that came from their sponsorship was a crawl across the TV broadcast in the city, only in the city in which they sponsored the team. So probably very narrow audience, right? Um, that merchant, I think, was doing about... Um, I don't know, 1.5 million online a month. Um, guess what? The number one most redeemed code was Magic 30. And guess what? That was from their sponsorship of the Orlando Magic. Well, because Honey was working on their site, it gave everybody Magic 30 who had Honey. And that code alone in one month cost that merchant $150,000 of lost revenue. Now, they could look at that and go, this is great. This is really awesome because, you know, we're selling more stuff. But the reality is, is they were then giving 30% off to a whole bunch of folks they didn't need to. And at the same time, it was making their promotion look that more effective, that much more effective than it actually was. So it's this garbage in, garbage out, I think, problem as well on the attribution side. That Those are people that were already in the checkout when they got that coupon code that weren't expecting to get a full 30% off. Maybe they thought that you know, this is a brand that usually has some kind of coupon. I'll probably get 10, 15% or something if yep. this is a, a brand that that uses a lot of those kind of discounting strategies. But yeah, that's that's interesting. And is your app stopping um, Honey and Capital One and, and these others from scraping uh, the new coupons as they're being added? Or is it really about stopping them from injecting the coupon into the checkout page automatically? Uh, yeah, the key thing for us was to stop the injection, right? I mean, like the reality is, is codes are going to get out there. Yeah. Right? That if, like, if, I, if I'm going to take the time to Google and go to retail me not and, you know, and this and, and, and start checking, you know, 10 different websites and testing 20 different codes, that's the kind of shopper I'm going to be in that moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to find what's going to, what's out there to be found, but there's a difference between having to hunt and automation. Listen, I think if you make it easy enough for people, then they'll take advantage of it. And that's exactly what these things have done is they've made it mindless. You don't need to go and search. You can just rely on them. And a lot of folks, I think, absolutely rely on them. Um, 
the key thing for us is uh, is making sure that you know that the, the experience at checkout is exactly the same. So when our software is on these stores, Honey still pops up, but Honey just won't find you a discount on a store that is protected by our software. And so the message that the user will get at the end of the experience says, you've already got the best price, you should check out. So we believe that um, you know it is the merchant store. They do deserve to be able to control their most precious asset, which is their store and their user experiences. Um, you know, like I, I talk to a lot of folks, some folks will say, Hey, you know, what you're doing is not pro-consumer. And, and it, and it troubles me a little bit because there's a lot of things that are, that people would say are pro-consumer, but it doesn't mean they're right. Right. So the fact yeah. that you are, may or may not be in the military, or you may or may not be a first responder. It's not right that you would attempt to get a code that is entitled to one of those folks. Mm-hmm. Right. doesn't make sense. Um, you know, the analogy I have to say is like, like Napster was pro-consumer, but it was not really good for the music industry. We weren't going to have a music industry if everybody just said Napster was the forever way that music was going to be distributed. Uh, and so we had to do something about it. And I think that's what we're doing here is we're doing something about it. We're trying to give that control back to the merchants that they, I think, so rightfully deserve. Well, look, you know, merchants, if you go in store, they're merchants that they're not going to accept a photocopy of a coupon. Uh, they're going to tell you, you know, originals only. That's not unheard of. It's not particular. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if I was told that in a major store uh, or or a small business for that matter. I don't think it's that much to ask in this case. Again, especially when you talk military first responders, teachers, um, members of groups, you know, where a coupon is only intended to be used by someone that's a paid member that, uh, you know, of an association or somebody that's donated to a nonprofit or something else where it's very particular. Uh, Well, the the other thing I would pile on with Robert is like, those are all intended, right? And so then there's the experience that was unintended. Uh, It happened to me actually three weeks ago where I was on a website. uh, I was shopping. um, I went to checkout. And Capital One Shopping popped up. And obviously, I have these things on my computer so I can research and understand what's going on in the ecosystem, have a good pulse. Sure, that's why. I yeah. Of course. Capital One Shopping pops up and says, hey, guess what? Um, we have a $75 coupon for you. Well, Robert, my order was actually only $60 in value. It brought my order down to zero. Not kidding. And so like, think about that. Why? Well, like, it then said you need to pay $10 in shipping, which... You know, this yeah. merchant is not making money on that, obviously. No. Um, but anyways, I think that's like what can go wrong with these things as well, is that I'm sure someone in customer service had a irate customer or something, and they created a code that was only meant for one person um, that was like, here's a, you know, a generous $75 off your next order or something like that. Guess what? The world was getting $75 off. And it didn't matter what your average order value was. You were getting $75 off. I think that's the other insurance policy that I think we give to merchants, which is that like when something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And, and like just put the protection up and always have protection because you never know what's going to happen on any given Sunday when someone has control of the discount strategy. That's interesting. And it, you've spent a good amount of time around these. Do you have a, a good feel for how these different websites, these different browser extensions, you know, Honey... Etc. How they're making money? What's their business model? Because just giving people coupons onto itself isn't. Is it all about data collection? Is it like 
Capital One, what's in your shopping cart? <laughs> you know? Oh, I think it's a lot of that. I mean, listen, it starts with data. When you uh, accept the terms and conditions as an end user, you're effectively giving them carte blanche to your data of what you're doing on your computer all day, every day, especially when you're, you're going shopping. Um, so I think it starts with data. And they're going to try and understand everything about you and your purchasing behaviors and where you buy and how you buy so that they can get smarter and help drive more behavior and engagement. Now, the second piece is how do they get paid? They're effectively affiliates, right? And if they're not the affiliate, they're working with affiliates to get credit so that affiliates get paid. Um, last thing what they do is, is like they do cashback. So you'll see them where they'll share cashback with the user. Like, hey, click here to activate your discount and you'll earn cashback. What they're doing is, is they're then like the money that they're taking either as an affiliate fee directly from the merchant or from affiliate ecosystems, they're then sharing pieces of that to drive that you know flywheel of consumer behavior. Even um, though they didn't do anything to drive the person to the website in the first place, they aren't a referral source. Uh, they're not a good affiaffiliate in that sense. All that they're doing is uh, is watering down the margin. So yeah. you're right, and I think the crazy part is is that they're going to get the last click at the at, at checkout because they're on the computer, they are like, they're actually prompting the user to say, give me credit for this sale. Like that's yeah. exactly the behavior that they're uh, initiating. And we've, we've seen actually behavior with folks that are using our software, where when they put our software on their site, they start to see really wacky behavior, almost like a whack-a-mole sort of thing from affiliates where, you know, we'll basically choke the oxygen out on honey. And then they'll see like literally instantaneously you know, Rakuten or Retail Me Not or pick your other, you know, coupon extension or affiliate start to bounce up and, and, and as others bounce down. So, you know, I think there's, there's probably a bigger problem here than anyone really truly knows about. Um, and our goal is to really give that analytics back to the merchants. So they really understand what's happening on their website. Here's the coupon extensions that are uh, being used. Here's all of the promo codes that, that are attempting to be injected so that you actually have a view of, of what codes have gotten out there into the wild. Um, and then even further down the, the chain to actually help them understand if you left this problem unsolved, here's exactly how much it would be costing you in lost revenue plus affiliate fees. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, I, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I wonder just how private that data that some of these apps are collecting is staying, what's being sold or shared or used in other ways. But uh, you know, because as soon as you become a data company or, you know, at least a division of a company that's focused on data collection, you have to figure out how to monetize that. And that doesn't stop. <laughs> you're, you're constantly looking at different ways to monetize. Uh, you know, you've mentioned a lot of different things that I, I think could impact different sized organizations. In your estimation, from your experience in the space, how big do you need to be before this stuff really starts to matter? Is this, you know, something that like every website at this point is going to be plagued by or something that really you think is more of a mid-market issue? You know, I would say if, if you work in e-commerce and you own a store, you should download these extensions to actually see what the user behavior is on your own experience, right? So like that to me is the best way for you to understand what's going on. Honey will say that it works on about 40 or 50,000 different uh, e-commerce sites. I think Capital One Shopping is uh, about the same. Uh, let's remember and not forget that, that Honey was acquired by PayPal 
uh, about a year and a half ago for $4.5 billion. Uh, Capital One Shopping uh, used to be called Wikibuy, and now it's called Capital One Shopping. Um, and so uh, that was acquired by Capital One. So you see these payments processors all trying to get into this you know, merchant you know, value chain of transactions and understanding that data. Um, well, but, they, know uh, what, they know what method you're using to pay. So if you're clicking for Amazon payments instead of PayPal or whatever, you know, that I, I imagine I, I haven't researched in this case what's actually being collected, but that there's just a ton of data that would be helpful for them to understand the lay of the land against competition and other things that they normally wouldn't have insight into. Exactly. And then your question was kind of what's the size and scale of the problem? Honey came out with the stat. They actually sent me an email as a user because I have Honey on my machine and said that they saved their consumers $1.6 billion in 2020. What that means is at a minimum, there was a destruction of average order value caused by Honey of $1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. That's a big number. Yeah. That doesn't include affiliate fees that were paid out on all of those orders and whatnot. So like, we think that this is a huge problem, yet we also believe that this is just starting. Like, yeah. it, you know, like we think there's behemoths, right? So there's the, these, uh, you know, it's a David versus Goliath sort of battle with Honey and Wikibuy as the two biggest ones. Both of them are spending a boatload of money on a user acquisition. You can see uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Capital One shopping commercials. You can see Honey ads if you go online. I mean, I've seen them constantly in Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing. Um, and then there's this long tail of folks all clamoring to be the next honey. Obviously, I think everybody saw the $4.5 billion transaction. So I think now there's a whole bunch of folks you know, trying to get a piece of that pie. And so there's like, you know, Retail Me Not, Rakuten, Coopert, WeThrift, Piggy, like you name it. There's probably 15 more that I haven't mentioned yet, all competing to be that, you know, dominant, uh, you know, affiliate slash coupon extension that, you know, becomes the favorite of, of, of users. Yeah. And look, I guess once you're in their network, you're in their network, <laughs> yep. uh, they're going to be serving up coupons. Always some new challenge to, to face. How did you stumble into this from the malvertising? Was it that uh, one of your users asked you about it or that you noticed it? Or how did this become a, a core focus for your team? It's super cool. So as a cybersecurity company, we always knew that like, you know, successful cyber companies solve problems in verticals. And so the first vertical that we went after was this advertising technology vertical. And many of us here worked in advertising technology. So we had empathy for the problem. We really understood the customer base um, and we scaled very rapidly there. Um, when, When you look at our base of customers, many of our partners on that side have only ads and they monetize via ads. Um, many other customers that we have actually monetized two ways. One is via ads and one is, uh, by commerce. What we started to see is that, um, intuitively on the advertising technology side of our business, everything is deterministic. So we're able to really understand like the threat vector and kind of all the way back to the value chain of where the threat began. We started to see a whole bunch of threats coming through that weren't necessarily bought Uh, as programmatic, but they were actually coming through infected Chrome extensions that were sitting on people's PCs. And so when we started really R&Ding on that sort of behavior, that's when we kind of stumbled on some of the sites that have e-commerce and ads, that there were a whole bunch of things trying to inject. And that's where we kind of stumbled across this honey problem. And as we started to talk to merchants, they all had this pent up 
you know, anger towards this. And, and it really felt to me that there was um, a little bit of a adversarial relationship between uh, these discount extensions and merchants. Um, many merchants had told us in the earliest days that they'd reached out to try and get Honey or Wikibuy to stop scraping your site and to stop injecting codes. And, and a lot of it kind of felt like this, you know, ransom of like, hey, you know, like if you start paying us, then we might stop. Like, and merchants were just like, I don't really want to do that kind of deal. I'd really just want it to go away. And so same sort of way that we started in the ad tech business is that we built an MVP and we went out and said, hey, will you put this code on your site and can we learn together? And by the way, we don't want any money from you. We just want to actually learn more about the problem and we'll share all this data with you and, and really help diagnose what's going on. So that's what we did. Um, last summer, we, we built the MVP. We started uh, working with, I don't know, maybe like 15 merchants to start with. Uh, across you know any platform, either homegrown ecom or Shopify or whatnot, and then as we started to really uncover where this problem was, we really narrowly focused and said, like, let's go really solve this big time. And that's where we focus on Shopify um, because we think that it's a really big scalable ecosystem that, you know, generally speaking, has a pretty big problem. Yeah, I would imagine that across the board in e-commerce, that uh, look, there's a reason that, <laughs> that these. Browser extensions work for so many thousands of of sites, so you know I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if basically you know all the major players from you know WooCommerce and BigCommerce to Magento and uh, you know and and Salesforce Commerce Cloud and you know everybody yep. in between um, are starting to observe this and. You know, I, I'm with you when you talk numbers. You know, 1.6 billion. Plus or minus, and and then you've got uh, the affiliate dollars on the back end of that. And I imagine that merchants, let's say, as an aggregate, you know, that six hundred million being used in coupons because people were otherwise going to go to Retail Me Not or some of you know uh, Coupon Cabin. I don't know. You know, I I used to help some merchants to submit coupons to some of these places just so that for the the coupon savvy folks, they'd find a five percent off or something. And they'd finish the checkout instead of getting lost. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's there's an amount that I think merchants are prepared for, but it's that escalation. It's like you say that uh, you know it, it's an exacerbation. It, it's taking something that was natural and creating an unnatural problem for the merchants. So um, that's really interesting, Matt. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all this info with us today. Before I let you go. Any final thoughts, any words of wisdom, things coming down the pike, uh, predictions or trends that you're you're watching eagerly? Uh, anything else cool that, that you want to share before we wrap it up? Yeah, all I would say is that we went to, to general availability uh, you know, last week with, with our launch on Product Hunt. Um, again, number one product. So like, I, we think that there's a really big bear there. We know it's a multi-billion dollar problem and we've just scratched the surface. What I would say is if you're operating an e-commerce store, um, reach out to us. You can find us at clean.io. Uh, you can find me at matt at clean.io. So if you want to send me an email, we'd be happy to engage with you. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of, of uh, to learn here is what I would say. I think it's very early stages. Um, we're really just scratching the surface. Um, and I think if you really uh, take a step back and have an open mind, like the folks that have partnered with us thus far, I would say are the early adopters, uh, the folks that truly have a hunch that they're costing themselves a whole pile of money in lost revenue that folks were going to convert anyway when they're that far down the funnel at checkout. 
Uh, and so I'd say if you want to learn, reach out to us. We'd love to, to dig in deep with you and, uh, and help you solve the problem. Awesome. Well, Matt, thanks so much for your time. And to our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll have more great content like this wherever you're consuming this episode today, whether that's through our podcast, through YouTube, through Facebook. We appreciate you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and happy sailing out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.